0: Last time on Fans on the Run. Are you familiar with a McCartney book called Many Years From Now? The Barry
1: Miles one.
0: Correct. Okay. He, all right, so then he, he's, he talks about this in the Barry Miles book. He negotiated a seven-cent increase in royalties, and, I, and a, a, apparently Klein was supposed to get a com, his commission was supposed to be a percentage of the 7 cents, a percentage of the increase. Mm-hmm. Got it? Yes. Klein charged himself a percentage of the entire 25 cents. He got crafty with the with the with the books there, and it was an it's an easy thing for people to miss, but McCartney's people caught it when they were in that big lawsuit. Um So, but in any case, you know, he negotiates that increase and then Lennon announces he's quitting the band and Klein's like, oh man, I gotta, but Capitol is expecting a record. I gotta give them a Beatles record in time for Christmas. What am I gonna do? And so they slap together this collection of singles that had not been on albums yet And a couple of songs that had not been issued in stereo yet. (laughs) And it was just purely... I I wrote an article about it for Culture Sonar, and I I described it as assembled in America by Americans for Americans. But it's one of my favorite records. (laughs) As just... I I love the cover... I love the I love the, the 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 imagery of that period. I I don't know if you're hearing the sirens. I, I apologize. Yeah. Oh no, it's fine. I'm next. Okay. Um. I'm. We live on a pretty busy street. Um, I've been
1: listening to nothing but Fire Brigade by The Move they, for the past oh, yeah. like, couple days. So it's just oh, kind of yeah. pleasant to me.
0: I couldn't believe it when I discovered The Move. I'm like, where has this band been, my life? How did I, how did I miss this? Are all you familiar years, with the I,
1: idol race? Uh, a little bit. Oh dude. They're you, hard you have to yeah.
0: check more of it. I love sea, I love Sea of Dreams. Um, but their their stuff is hard to find. It's out of print. I don't you know I don't know if they're on iTunes or not. They're all on Spotify. But, okay. I have a little I, 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 I use I use Spotify under protest. As Orson Welles would say, but like, I'm just, I like buying CDs, and I, I go I think to you know, on when iTunes. I, yeah, when I looked up like some of the Idol Race stuff on CD, and it's you know it's out of print, and the, but then you get an import for fifty dollars. I'm like, eh, I don't know. They but just
1: reissued case. their first album, so I think, oh yeah, I think you could get it for like twenty bucks.
0: Okay, yeah. At some point, I'm going to have to take the plunge because I'm a I'm a unabashed uh jeff lynn freak i love everything that guy does i am a Um, jeff
1: lynn freak too and then by extent i'm also a roy wood freak
0: oh yeah do you have um boulders
1: boulders
0: the first roy wood solo album
1: i do not is that the one with wizard
0: uh no wizard was later his Uh. first solo album was him playing all the instruments himself I'm gonna have to listen to that. A la Todd Rundgren, engineered by Alan Parsons. That name sounds familiar. <laughs> and he was—I'll tell you what, man. When I because I I went down a little um, Roy Wood and the Move sort of rabbit hole. I was listening to a, a podcast from England called The Word. Okay. And it was—it's done, I think, through. I forget if it's Mojo Magazine or Uncut or one of those, one of those English rock magazines. Mm. And they were interviewing a guy named Thomas Walsh. Do you know who that is? Name, again, very familiar. You know, You know the band Pugwash? Name sounds familiar. Dude, you got to check out Pugwash. They're an Irish band. He's from, he's from he's uh it's it's really Thomas, and he's had like a revolving group of musicians over the years, uh, but the band's called Pugwash, and they're an Irish band. And he's like the direct descendant of like like his two guys are Jeff Lynn and Andy Partridge from XTC. Okay. In fact, he was his first record deal. He was signed to Andy Partridge's uh, record label, and so he's like the heir, as far as I'm concerned to that that kind of songwriting and he's and he's he's like friends with Jeff Lynn he's friends with Andy Partridge he's 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 like a made man in terms of like the power pop is concerned and I I met him a couple of years ago he came they did a show in New York and I got to interview him for my podcast and he was like super duper cool he's this big big bear of a a guy from from Ireland and he's he's a he's a funny motherfucker too you got to check out Pugwash get the new album called Silver Lake He's I'm just putting it in my Jason notes. Faulkner. Listen to yeah.
1: Pugwash, uh, that Tom Petty album and the Donovan album.
0: Wildflower, yes, yes, good man. There you go. So, anyway, so they were interviewing Thomas on this podcast, and he was talking about how he was like obsessed with the Move, growing up, and in those days, you know, he'd heard that like the Move were gonna they were gonna be showing like a promo film of the move on like top of the pops or something and like he and his brother were like sitting by the tv with with their vcr like waiting for the song to come on you know or whatever and so i thought all right the move i gotta check that out and i bought an album called uh, message from the country
1: yeah the last one
0: yeah and again i'm like you know like the words of aaron and i'm like what where has this been my whole life, right? So then that led me to get Boulders, the first Roy Wood solo album. And then I see in the credits, engineered by Alan Parsons. I'm like, what? So the next Does Alan gig, Parsons
1: ever get annoyed with you for asking about all these groups?
0: It depends on how you do it and which groups you're talking about. I was super duper aware. Well, first of all, you are part of the job of doing these gigs with these people is to not be a fanboy. You are an employee, right? <laughs> and so, and I knew because of the Beatles connection, I I knew that I was gonna it was I was gonna have to really watch out yeah. and 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 maintain a, a veneer of professionalism, um, but. You know, I did see, I remember one time we were in, we were on the road somewhere, and we, were, we had, a, it was a night off, and so we'd spent the day, we, the band, we'd all gone out, hanging out somewhere, and Alan had to go do an interview. And so we're in the hotel restaurant having Oh, dinner. I just thought of a really you know,
1: bad pun. You said night off, and I'm like, night off fear, because
0: the move. Oh, I don't know that song. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you, you sounded so excited to make that pun. And it just, it just, right in the dumper, as Don Rickles would say. But, you know. But the first good, move song. Good, it's, it's good. But you made the connection, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, now, so, so now I know. Now I know there's something to listen to. But in any case, we're in the restaurant and Alan Shall and Lisa. crawl come back in my hole? No, relax. It's all right. It's going to, believe me, it's, it, you know, it, it never, you know, it's going to be. You got the rest of your life ahead of you. I like, only
1: jest.
0: Like, <laughs> no, so so Lisa's Alan's wife, who's also the tour manager, and they go, they're like everywhere together all the time. So, uh, and she and she's great. So they they come in the restaurant. We see them and they, we we wave them over. I'm like, hey guys. So they come sit down, and we're like, oh, so how was the uh, how was the interview? And Alan goes, oh my god. <laughs> what was it like to work with the beatles what was it like to work with pink floyd oh god the same questions i don't know. like that i saw him like one time kind of bristle like after the fact because he's such a nice guy he and and he really is he's, he's a wonderful man and i never had any it was always a you know a sweet a sweet sweet man they invited us to their wedding Uh, They would send us Christmas gifts. I I can't say enough good things about that guy. And only once did I really see him get like, oh, what was it like to work with Pink Floyd? You know. Um, I mean, but that's like... um, I guess that's kind of what you signed up for when you did Dark Side of the Moon. No, that's not what you signed up for. What you signed up for was to engineer that record. But now... You've done this thing that's had this huge impact on the culture and he's proud of it for sure. I think if there's anything that bugs him, I think it would be the fact that he was just getting his like EMI studios salary for working on that record. In case Alan Parsons
1: is listening, I'd like to issue a public apology
0: for my previous (laughs) statement. (laughs) Well no and I know you are Alan. Uh, most, and I think most of these people are very happy with what they've done and they, you know, uh, this. I, I don't really think I've ever seen anyone that was like, alright, I don't want to talk about this anymore or whatever, but I think I, I would come to Alan with stuff that was like out of left field.
1: Like, I remember uh, your, uh, was it Abbey Road? Beatles remaster video and he asked him right. something about uh, at the end of I Want You She's So Heavy and there was a tape right. splice.
0: Correct. Right. He had told me that story and I will reveal the secret of that phone call. It is the real Alan Parsons but the, the phone call was sort of not done in real time. I approached him and Lisa uh, with the idea, I said, we're gonna, "I'm going to do a thing where it's like we're going to do like the, we're going to spoof the the Ruddles gag. Have you you've seen the Ruddles, right?
1: Million times.
0: Okay, so Roger McGough is the Liverpool poet. Yeah. actually you know knew the Ruddles, yes. right? Oh uh, yes, yes, Roger McGough. You know, and I I was going to basically, and once I explained it to him like that. He got it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that's funny. Okay, fine." So, all I had to do was basically I called them, and I said, "Yes, I'm just going to drop in your your dialogue when it fits." So I just I, I just need you to like say say yes a few different times, and then, you know, say yeah that was me or whatever, and, and then so I so it is a it is a real conversation that I had with them to get him to say that stuff. But like when you're watching it, I'm just talking by myself, and and I've and I've overdubbed quote-unquote his voice into there but i would come to him and ask him about stuff that no one else asked him about like roy Wood, when i came to him and said hey you know we like we we're like we we're like shooting the shit at soundcheck or whatever and i said oh by the way i just got a copy of boulders and he goes ah oh, yes like his eyes lit up like oh yeah that right yeah, yeah. um you know, because no one ever asks him about that. Everyone yeah. always comes to him and says, oh, Mr. Parsons, tell me about Dark Side of the Moon. And it gets like, all right, enough already. Because it's not Dark Side of the Moon that annoys him. I think it's the fact that everyone who comes to him thinks that they're the first ones to ask him about it. Yeah. And it's that sort of look in people's eyes. So when I come to him and, and I'm like, yeah, I get the boulders by Roy Wood. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And he, he had a lot of good things to say about Roy Wood. He says, he says I learned a lot. Working with him, he taught me a lot of stuff about like studio recording and the craft with with engineering. He's I did a lot of really cool stuff on that record, you know. So the only time I ever had trouble though, as a as a as a as a side man, um, trying not to be a fanboy, was Mickey Dolenz. Oh, first sound check with that guy, I I I, I caught myself like. Just kind of gawking at him. He was like, he was like testing his mic, and I was like, duh. And monkey. he'd already introduced him. Hi, like, yeah, he right, yeah, he comes over. Hey, Mickey. Hey, John, bass player. Nice to meet you. You know, okay, yeah, sure. And we're about to rehearse the set, and he's like che- checking his mic, and I just noticed that I was like, my jaw was sort of like a, uh, uh, and I I noticed myself doing that. I was like, oh shit, I better. I got, like, five seconds to pull it together, man, or oh, this guy's going to smell blood and say, yeah, the bass player's creeping me out. Get him out of here. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and, again, every person's different, so you feel it out differently. Um, you know, uh, Joey Molland was one of those guys that I was, like, expecting to be really starstruck, but the first time I met him I was like, hey, John, how are you? You know, and he, and he's he's such, like, a regular bloke. Yeah. You know, again, Liverpool. Um, we, you know, he's he's like the sweetest guy on earth. Such a such a fun guy to hang out with. You know, we have you know drinks with him. Him and Denny Lane together are like, you know, it's a it's a it's a nice fun hang. So you know, um, yeah, I think these people are proud of what they've done, and you know, if you once once you've played the music with them. And you've you've done your job doing that, then you've you've pretty much been vetted as long as you don't, you know, take advantage of it. You know. But I, I will say that I've I have an autographed copy of Ben on the run with, <laughs> with Danny's signature on it. You know.
1: I almost got Denny Lane's autograph once.
0: How is that now how is that uh possible?
1: Uh it was at the Fest for Beatles fans and uh Okay. You know, I I had already gotten uh, Lawrence Juber and Steve Hawley's autographs. Um, Oh, nice. And so I went into uh, Denny Lane. He was in a separate room. No one else was charging for autographs. And Ah. I didn't have any cash on me. So I was expecting it to be like the other two. Right. And so I got turned away.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah, well... I I I, th- I think these guys are getting pretty tired of seeing their signatures being sold on eBay. Uh, so and everyone's dealing with it differently. Um, I seem to remember, was it Alan? It was someone that I was playing with. Had a thing of like I like I'll sign it if you, it, but it has to be to someone specific.
1: Oh, I, I wanted that with the other ones, like they had written yeah. to Ethan, blah 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 blah.
0: Right, right. And right. I,
1: I'd well, never be the type to like scalp autographs. Like one right.
0: of my most prized right.
1: possessions is the signed Zombies album on
0: my wall. Ooh, which one?
1: Odyssey and Oracle signed by the four alive nice. ones.
0: Nice. I have, we did a a show with the Zombies, um, with Denny. Denny Denny opened for the Zombies. It was like a one-off gig. And at that point, it was still just uh, Colin and Rod. Yeah. Before they uh, got uh,
1: Chris and, what's the drummer's name? Original.
0: No, well, at the time, this was 2004. Jim Rodford was the bass player at that time. (laughs) who he was he'd been the bass player in Argent and he and he was with the Kinks he played bass on Come Dancing which is one of my favorite Kinks tracks. One of mine too. Um, yeah, so Jim Rodford was the bass player, his son was the drummer and I the guitar player was like like an English guy, but it was Colin and Rod. Yeah. And Colin had sung a bunch of stuff on the Alan Parsons projects albums. And so once you know we i mean us the fact that we were denny's band got us you know that was sort of like our you know vetting backstage but once we told them that we work with alan colin was like oh wow how how's he doing blah 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 blah. so i have a um live at the bbc uh disc of theirs and i got them to i got colin and Rod to sign that and it's great because it's like black and white photo and they signed it with like a silver sharpie and it just looks really great anyway mine know. was less but,
1: cool because they actually had some for sale on their website pre-signed
0: oh okay and,
1: <laughs> although the thing was they didn't ship to canada so i had to have it shipped okay. to buffalo and so oh. i drive down pick it up from a third party but you know what i, I treat it the same as if like i had sure. gotten it signed myself because i love the zombies sure. so much Nice. Odyssey and Oracle, I think, is one of the greatest albums of all time.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, Again, another one that I discovered much, much later. I thought, like, where has this been my whole life? Where has this record been? Like, we've all
1: heard Time of the Season. Yeah. But we all haven't heard, like, Care of Cell 44.
0: Did you see the thing that they did for the 50th anniversary of that album? What are you referring to? (laughs) They did like two. Was it? Was it? Was that sixty-seven or sixty-eight that that record came out? It was sixty-eight. Okay, so it was two years ago. They did videos for all the the songs. The
1: animated ones.
0: Yeah. 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 The Stones
1: have been doing something like that too. Right. Because a couple years ago they did all the ones for their "Satanic Majesty's Request."
0: Oh, I gotta check that out. I that's an album I don't know. I mean I know the cover, but yeah. I, I've never I've never really listened to that record because yeah. I hear you know, it's either like people it's it's either a punchline yeah. or people go, I don't care man, that's my favorite Stones record. It's like half okay, of it is
1: fine. weird but <laughs> yeah. the other half is golden. Like in another land really? the Bill Wyman song. It, okay. It sounds like it wouldn't be out of place on, like, the Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd albums.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, then I'll have to check it out, because I am a fan of, like, English psychedelia.
1: That's you what know, I've all been that... listening to for the past uh, yeah, the, quarantine. I've been The res- early Floyd stuff, yeah. I've been especially into this kind of subgenre called freak beat. Um, uh-huh, what's that? It's basically like kind of the mod stuff, but when it was uh-huh. evolving to be a little more LSD-driven. So uh-huh. groups like, uh, you know, the move. They're not really freaky, but the action.
0: Ah, okay. The end. Got twink, it. Twink. July. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so then you would probably... Okay, so it's not quite psychedelic yet.
1: Uh, it's, it's you know, like sixty seven, sixty eight, Like, it's pretty psychedelic. Oh, okay. But it still right. has that, like, raw, hard edge of, like, the mod still, stuff.
0: Got it. Okay. Are you hip to the Dukes of Stratosphere?
1: I am not hip to the Dukes of Stratosphere. Should oh, I be come?
0: hip? Oh, come on, dude. Well, you know who XTC is, right? Yes. Thank God. Okay. So... I'm not you completely know what? I,
1: uncultured.
0: I, okay, all right. You know what? Let me take that back. Let me I, let me apologize for my condescending tone to you. Just a moment That's ago, right. and let me tell you why. Because I found out about XTC after The Dukes of Stratosphere. Basically, what happened was in I want to say eighty five, eighty six, something like that. XTC. It had a cut. They put out a couple of albums, and then as a joke. I don't know the, the actual origin story of it, but basically the Dukes of Stratosphere is XTC, basically. It's the guys from XTC pretending to be an English psychedelic band from the 60s.
1: Okay, that the premise alone.
0: Oh. Yeah, they just, yeah, they went in because it was I'm the 80s. And it, okay, okay, the Dukes of Stratosphere, but Stratosphere is spelled P H I'm already on
1: their Wikipedia page.
0: Okay, good. Okay, so they went into like an 8-track studio in someone's shed or whatever and they just they they did We're gonna do like a parody of like the English psychedelic stuff and they did an EP called 25 o'clock You know with like backwards guitars and all that kind of yeah. shit and in the 80s That was considered it was like the least fashionable thing you could do. Yeah. in the 80s, but this EP called 25 o'clock was like huge Hold so on, wait, I'm going to be
1: right back because I, I need to grab something I think you might for- get a kick out of. Okay. We we're talking about uncool psychedelia. <laughs> and this yeah. is... I'm so into it that I own one of
0: these. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's great. The old coral. Is it a coral, actual uh, coral, or is it like a It's, it's a copy.
1: reissue. But it's okay. it's got all the
0: bells and whistles from the coral. Ah, oh, that's fantastic! <laughs>
1: <laughs> like I can even play the whole solo from uh, "Listen to the Flower People" from Spinal Oh, that's Ta.
0: great! That's great, man! <laughs> <laughs> you know that there was okay. So if you know Flower People, are you you're familiar with the folksman Then right? Yes. Okay. Do you, did you ever see their psychedelic uh, track? Uh, I think so. It's I can't on remember the DVD. what it's
1: called.
0: If you get the DVD of A Mighty Wind, it, it was a bonus cut they did. It was like Children of the Sun or yes. something like that. And it's basically it's the same premise as Flower People, where they have like the psychedelic background. And it was like you can see why it wasn't like left in the movie because it was just sort of like not. Uh, it was sort of un- 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 unremarkable on like the, they, you know, but in any case, um, what was I talking about? Okay, so Sonic, the the Dukes of Stratosphere, they did, a after 25 o'clock, they did a full-length album as the Dukes of Stratosphere called Sonic Sunspot, but Sonic is spelled P-S-O-N-I-C, and Sunspot is also spelled P-S-U-N, you know, the, so... I had read a review of Sonic Sunspot and Rolling Stone back in the day, back in the 80s when I was in high school. And in those days, I spent most of my money and most of my time at Tower Records. Mm -hmm. There was a Tower Records around the corner from my high school. And, you know, all my allowance money went there. Every afternoon I was there. Every Christmas... I was an easy person to shop for. Get him a Tower Records gift certificate. Good to go. And one of those trips, you know, I got, you know, it was like the routine was the same. Christmas, I get the Tower Records gift certificate. And then at some point during Christmas break, that magical week or two between like Christmas and New Year's where there's no school. Yeah. uh, And but it's like that lull like after christmas is over and there's no school and you can just sort of hang i would go into the city on the train and go to tower and because it was you know christmas vacation there was you know it wasn't crowded or anything and i would go in and use my gift certificate and get a bunch of tapes in those days it was for me it was cassettes yeah uh mostly even if i got if i got an LP, it immediately went onto cassette so I could listen to it on my Walkman. Because that's how we had to do it back in my day. We didn't we didn't have these slick exotic, you know, everything on our phones like you kids have today. But I digress. So back
1: in my I day one...
0: <laughs> in my day. Right, exactly. So one of those trips, I went into the city and I got in one fell swoop, it was I seem to remember it being Cloud Nine, The Cave Comes Alive by the Lime Spiders. Okay. And Sonic Sunspot. I was really into I didn't realize it at the time that the, the, the freak beat stuff. Like if this you know, I'm looking right now as we're as we're talking, I'm Googling like you are, and I'm looking at Joe Meek's Freak Beat, mm-hmm. the compilation. Um and if something like this existed when I was like 15, sixteen. I would have totally eaten it up because I was really into that like that exact sort of nexus between the psychedelic thing but also the hard rock thing. Like the whos sell out. Oh, I love uh, that album so much. That was like my favorite friggin record. If I had if I had been hip to Odyssey and Oracle, if I would heard Odyssey and Oracle when I was in high school, I, com- I would have completely lost my shit. If Absolutely. you were
1: on the other side of the Atlantic, you probably would have heard some of this stuff. Because in the 80s, there, or late 80s, early 90s, there were these great uh, reissues on, I think it was called Bam yeah. Caruso, a series called okay. Rubble. Huh. And it's full. And there was an earlier one called, I love this title, Chocolate Soup for Diabetics.
0: yeah well you see in those days like i said there was no internet there was no youtube you know you had to really seek this stuff out like you would i would read rolling stone or uh tower records had its own magazine called pulse yes and they would you know you would hear these you know you'd hear these album titles and you'd hear these band names and then, you would have to re- just remember them and then seek them out, you know. Um, uh, so you know, it wasn't like what are they called? And then you did, and then you go on your phone, and then and then there it is. And now you're yeah. listening to them. You had to dig around and find this stuff.
1: Occasionally, um, stuff like that still happens, where it's kind of hard to find online. There was this yes. group that I read about that the name of the group and the name of the album has put it immediately to the top of my want list. Uh, okay. It's called, um, the band's called Giant Whale. Uh, and the name of the album is A Giant Whale Comes Forth. And I, I immediately <laughs> want it because of the title.
0: Right, right. Because how, how could yeah, you
1: not so want an album called A Giant Whale? I only listen to music called A Giant Whale Comes Forth now
0: right there you go listen i you know i i I think it it it, that says a lot about who those people are and you think to yourself those people have got to be really interesting if they're going to call their band that and and title their album that um my wife has an album jill has an album that she bought uh that she didn't even know she'd never heard of this group uh i think she's listened to the album once but it doesn't matter um but it's a group called the undertones i think okay i think it's yeah i think yeah the the group is called the undertones and uh let me make sure i'm getting this right um um I want to say the band, I want to say the, the album is called You Are What You Eat, but it was, uh, it's basically the, the, the cover photo is of a woman wearing a dress made out of meat. (laughs) Uh, it's, and it's, it's like meat that's been like wrapped in, and it's wrapped in like saran wrap. Um, let me see. Discography. That sounds
1: like something out of Spinal Tap.
0: Yeah, or maybe it's just called the Undertone. Was it, is it the Undertones? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you know, she. But my wife bought this album because she saw this cover and she's like, "This is insane," you know. But I think that's you know that's good. I think the name of the band or the name of the album, if it's or the or the cover photo, if something grabs your attention, you know, even if the album stinks. Oh yeah. It you know I would rather. Yeah, I mean, what's what have you got to lose? You buy an album that's lousy, but maybe maybe it's lousy, but it's like interesting, yeah, somehow, like the Shags, rich, or like exactly, exactly, Captain um, Beefheart. Okay, well, yeah, well, Beefheart is a different thing. There's Beefheart's you know, there's a really genius, rich, correct, but there's like uh, a dear friend of mine, Rich Zucker, is a drummer. Uh, who I work with all the time, plays in my band. We've done like millions of gigs together. He's like one of my musical brothers, and Rich and I um Rich turned me on to the concept of incorrect music oh which is which is basically stuff that is so terrible that it's actually good.
1: I am familiar with that kind of thing. you
0: understand what I mean? Yeah, Have you ever so, heard of a like guy called
1: the- Wesley Willis
0: Yeah yeah wesley wills uh you know shooby taylor name sounds familiar <laughs> go 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 check out shooby taylor uh we also have a thing where we pass around like lousy demos from people you know um there's a there's a a, a song that um uh my guitar player my band tristan clark brought me a a, a he he says that this is a guy that he knows that sent him a demo, um, and it's like the drum machine goes for two bars, and then he comes in like several beats faster than the drum machine, and he's like do 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 like, and it's like so terrible that it's, but it's it's so funny that you have to enjoy it, you know. I'm
1: gonna use this as a segue back to the Beatles. Um, you know of, what?
0: I I I I could actually use this as a segue back to the Beatles. Um, I had the good fortune of meeting a guy named Ken Mansfield a couple of years ago. The president, you know or the
1: U.S. Is. president of Apple.
0: There you go. Okay, so I wrote to him when his first book came out, and I told him that I worked with Alan Parsons, and he said, and he wrote back. He says I was on the roof with with Alan, and I haven't seen him since. And I'm a huge fan of his music. I would love to meet him sometime. And I said, next time we come around to your town, you w- I, it would be an honor for me to have you as my guest. Uh, which we did. We did a, a, a date in California, and I said, is this near you? He said, yes. I had a lovely lunch with him and his wife, and I managed to uh, orchestrate. And I told Alan, I was like, yeah, Ken Mansfield's coming. And he was like, oh, great. And they had this wonderful reunion between the two of them. It was great. And so... I said to Mr. Mansfield, I said, you know, I didn't know that you worked with Mrs. Miller. And I said, what can you tell me about Mrs. Miller? And do you know Mrs. Miller?
1: Uh, again, the name sounds okay. so, so familiar.
0: She, she was a lady who put out a couple of records in the 60s. And she sang like this. And she was she was terrible. And, you know, she would put, you know, uh, she put out these records on, like, Capitol. And, you know, it's been a hard day's night and I've been working like a dog. With, like, a studio band behind it. And they were just so, like, abysmally terrible that they're funny to listen to, right? And Zucker... Rich, my buddy, drummer, turned me on to Mrs. Miller. I've got a tiger by the tail, and we would listen to this stuff, and it would just fall apart, laughing. And Mansfield mentions in his book, and you know, having worked at Capitol, handling everyone from the Beatles to Mrs. Miller, blah 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 blah. And I bring this up to him at 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 lunch. I said. Uh, you got to tell me about Mrs. Miller. Like, what, what happened? And he and he laughs and he goes, "Okay, so what happened was, the A and department we have these meetings, and we listened to different tapes, and we decide, okay, this is good, this is lousy, or this one, we'll, well, let's let's seek this one out or whatever." And some guy, who's a businessman, sent in this tape. It was his wife oh. singing, and would we be interested? And we put it on, and we all fell apart laughing because it was so terrible. And we didn't think anything of it. Next meeting, we were were sitting around and uh, over the next couple of meetings, they would they would put on this tape just to have a laugh at the end of the meeting, just to unwind a little bit. They put on that uh, lady again or whatever. And they would sit and laugh. And then one day someone in the room said, you know what, if we're having such a good time listening to this. Maybe there's something. Maybe we're missing something here. Maybe there's some benefit to this, and we could maybe turn this into some kind of a product that people would enjoy. If we're enjoying it this much, maybe other people will enjoy it. So just as a, almost as a joke, they find her, and I said, let me guess. So then she turned out to be like super sweet and humble, and and she went along. She and he goes, no, she was the biggest pain in the ass diva <laughs> you could ever you could ever she didn't what what made it sort of funny was that she didn't get the joke like she thought that she was a great singer
1: I know, you know? <laughs> someone exactly like that who's around <laughs> nowadays he's a friend of mine he, he ooh it's the same thing
0: well is it as a, as a musician you mean
1: Uh, he's a musician singer puts out his own okay. stuff
0: and they don't right and I no may, one has I the heart to tell him like listen uh, you're I may have to send. Don't drop. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But you know. Yeah. There's. I mean. That's part of it. Is um, music is such a subjective thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're if you if you're lousy, but the room is full and people are cheering. Yeah. You know who's to say? But you know there's also the Dunning Kruger effect where like the the exact um, how do you describe it? It's sort of like the degree to which you don't know anything. Is going to cause you to not know, like, like people, like someone who's so stupid that they don't realize how stupid yeah. they are.
1: If they just yeah. kind of get caught in their own head,
0: right? Right, and that happens a lot with with music and, and musicians. So, how are you going to pivot this back to the Beatles? I thought I have a Manfield way. I have a way. Okay, go for it.
1: Back to the subject of crazy album titles. Okay, uh, kind of related, but I have another one. A group, Dave D., Dozy Beaky, Mick and Titch. Again, amazing name, but they have an album that came out in, I think, '67 called If Music Be the uh, Food of Love, Prepare for Indigestion. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a bootleg, a Beatles bootleg. See, this is how I'm going to pivot it all back. Um, Right. That I actually bought when I was in your neck of the woods. Okay. uh, From what's it called? The f- there's a famous record store in the village. I'm trying to remember the name.
0: Revolver?
1: Not revolver. It's sounds. I have it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Old okay. run by a grumpy old guy.
0: They all are, but in yeah. any case. <laughs> um, but
1: it's a bootleg of Hamburg called The Beatles okay. versus the Third Reich. <laughs> i mean it cost me dollars yeah 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 yeah. yeah but
0: yeah, sure, i didn't sure. care
1: i didn't care i needed to own that
0: so now and and, and uh what's on there it's like a live thing from yeah, hamburg it's the star club stuff Right,
1: well, it doesn't is, sound the, that, very good, but the cover is. Right. You know that album, The Beatles versus the Four Seasons on VJ. Sure. It's, sure. The cover is a parody of that.
0: Right. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. And now um, I've successfully
1: pivoted it back to the Beatles. Beautiful. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions about the Beatles. Do it. Since I know you feel very strongly about this, which yes. is your preferred listening choice, mono? stereo or duophonic, duophonic.
0: <laughs> never heard duophonic as a choice <laughs> I uh, thought I'd just throw that
1: in there to make things interesting okay. that's because I know you have you a know, penchant for the mono
0: uh, I do in I fact your are,
1: I, review back in 2009 of yeah. the mono box was what convinced me to buy the mono CD box
0: Oh, that's great. Okay, so then you've seen Rich Zucker. Yes. He's in that video. He's mm-hmm. the one saying, to be honest, it beats yeah. the stereo box. Yeah. I, I, I borrowed mono? He's like, a loan. Well, who listen to stuff in mono anymore? Right. That's that was that was how little again, you talk about reheating the knowledge you've already got. I just assumed like that mono was like the inferior, like the cheaper version of like that stereo was the proper deal. I didn't know that. They were meant to be done in mono. In fact, in that video, you there's there's um uh, you see me interviewing my friend Tommy Williams, who's a guitarist. I don't think um, anyone
1: can see it anymore because something with copyright
0: it's got gotten pulled. Yeah, in fact, I I want to I found the raw footage from that video. Do it, recently, please do it. I want
1: to see these reviews again.
0: <laughs> well, well, what I want to do is you know, again. This is when YouTube was like brand new, and there was no. Nobody was talking about monetization or anything like that. And I would just drop in audio clips of songs, you know. And so what I want to do is repost them, you know, re-edit them without the Beatles audio and maybe make like dummy tracks or something like that. But to answer your question, mono versus stereo, I I hate to say it. It depends on the album. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I love the stereo Hard Day's Night album. The English... English Hard Day's Night in stereo is, like, I just love, there's something about the sound of that record in stereo that's just so airy, uh, you know, it's still powerful, um, but I'm trying to think of a mono... Record that I did, t- the middle period stuff. First time I heard, I mean that the face I made in that video, yeah, was not staged. When I the first time I heard Paperback Writer in mono, it, it it was like a smack in the face. It like, kicks
1: I, the stereo versions ass
0: totally. Like because I knew, that
1: like, I, I always, awesome yeah. delay on the vocals uh right after you know the verse. As it's like well, fading paper paperback
0: writer. Well, there's the delay, but it, no, from the very beginning, I that whole my whole life I listened to that that song, on the Hey Jude album, <laughs> and with the with the stereo mix where it's like the entire band panned to one side, and then like the bass and the vocal and the lead vocal and the tambourine in the center, you yeah. know, and I never really. You know, it, it didn't, and I and I got it. I mean, I I love the song "Song Come on the R- but hearing it like, like, bang, bang, like that, that guitar intro with the snare drum up in your face like that.
1: A good compromise like, is the uh, remixes that have come out over the past years. Uh, the one yeah. issue that came out a couple yeah. years ago has a pretty good stereo version of "Paperback Writer."
0: Oh, really? Okay. I have that CD. I gotta, I gotta check that out then.
1: It's not like the um, original two thousand one. It's the okay. They did it all again in twenty fifteen, and it sounds right. pretty decent.
0: Yeah, not quite yeah.
1: mono, but you know, it's the best stereo yeah. version you can find.
0: Yeah, it's you know what? It's interesting. Um, you left out five point one as one of the choices oh. by the way, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a surround. Uh, freak
1: i also did um, leave out quadraphonic but
0: quad well quad is is uh an extension of 5.1 in fact speaking of alan parsons he is a big proponent of mixing music in surround he was really heavily into quad when quad was happening mm-hmm. uh in the 70s he was really into that shit. i've got a copy of his quad mix of dark side of the moon and I was never really a huge fan of that album until I heard the quad mix, and the, I mean it's that album in, in with with the rear speakers, with us 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 us, 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 us. circling the room like that. Yeah. It's it's amazing. Um, I feel like so, I'm
1: cheating myself because I don't have a a proper you know five point one or any sort of surround well, setup.
0: Yeah uh eh, not that you're cheating yourself. i mean they you can get a functional surround system for not a lot of money um it's just a rabbit hole uh <laughs> you know when you start to think you know you, you, you get your appetite whetted uh and then you want more um my system was a very basic like dvd player that had the Speakers and the subwoofer plugged directly into the DVD player, (laughs) and it did the trick. Uh, up until they started putting out surround mixes on Blu ray only. Uh, but you know, so and it took some time, but we put the system together. So we have the Blu ray player, I've got a tuner, and I just got a new set of um, 5.1 speakers. I took all my birthday money this year, and I got a new set of speakers, so we just got to hook it up. And then I can put my uh, put on the surround my surround mix of Abbey Road uh, from the box set there, but the 5.1 mix of Pepper I gotta say is pretty outstanding.
1: Uh, I so I am gonna yeah. take your word for it. Um, yes, the closest I've heard is I when they did the re-release of Yellow Submarine, I heard right. the soundtrack you know in the theater in 5.1 yeah. and it kind of blew my mind
0: yeah yeah I mean it's some of it some of that stuff when they go remixing things it can be a little bit like new coke you know like
1: the but, 1987 rubber soul
0: mix right 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 hot well,
1: garbage
0: yeah you know a lot of people were unhappy with the um, with the 87 CDs in general I think I as I understand it they had kind of, uh, I, I think they had set a release date of uh, for Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. I think they were really they were they were determined to put out the CD of Sergeant Pepper on the twentieth anniversary for the whole that you know it was twenty like, years ago it was today. Twenty. It was a whole like twenty years ago today situation, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, like all of the albums had to be out by that date it was you know yeah. pretty pretty you know and uh, to me i just i think you, you might have seen one of the videos where i like actually tossed my old rubber soul disc yeah aside
1: do you know what's interesting look... though
0: yeah yeah
1: uh the 87 rubber soul was terrible everywhere else in the world except for yeah. canada interesting because Why someone at Capitol here Uh, put the wrong mix of the album on the CD and actually used the original 1965 British mix. (laughs) And so now, like, the Help and Rubber Soul versions are actually quite desirable because they have Ah. the original mixes by accident.
0: Now, I'm trying to remember, Did did they put out the original 1965 Rubber Soul mix on the mono CD? They did. They did that okay, with help was and was Rubber
1: like, Soul. They had the stereo that's ones right. tacked on at that's the end. That's right.
0: That's right. It was like yeah, they were remixed for CD. I think they were like for whatever reason, it was like the first albums that were spread out across enough tracks where they could actually do a, a remix. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess I don't. I don't know what. I don't know why they chose those two albums, but didn't touch. Yeah, Revolver. I remember that. Yeah, I don't, you know,
1: for the better. If I they don't know. I'm not... touched my tomorrow never knows. Yeah.
0: There would have been. I'm not I'm fire. not privy to those conversations, but I mean, there was one there was one that they kept what was it? I think it was let it be. They they kept they that there was going to be something that was going to come out like a let it be reissue was going to come out um and they had it, like, all set up. And then, like, at the very, very last minute, it, it got pulled. I remember hearing something about about some kind of a release not schedule. naked. No, not Let It Be Naked. I think it was... Uh, what the hell was it? It was going to be some kind of a thing where they had it all set up. And then at the very, very last minute, Neil Aspinall pulled the plug on it. And I don't remember what it was. I don't remember. It might have been a Let It Be related I know something like that
1: happened in the 90s they were going to reissue Sgt. Pepper and mono on CD and uh, like Capitol had all the stuff ready and at the last minute they pulled it
0: maybe that's what it was yeah maybe it was a pepper thing yeah um I mean it was a pretty that was the only that was the only CD out of all the 87 discs uh that had any sort of like a booklet to it mm-hmm. you know all the others they didn't seem to show any that was i think the thing that bothered me the most especially when i got the uh the remasters in '09. it it really struck me how much emi didn't seem to care about this catalog the most they, they did
1: was cram the tony barrow sleeve notes Right. To the booklet of like the early right. ones. But they didn't right. do anything for like Pepper unless you got like the original one, which came in like a slip case.
0: Right. Now I remember getting. Um, Just I picked
1: like up I that bread I... box uh, set the other day.
0: Yeah. Oh, the. In oh, the, uh, the. In like the. In the black. Yeah. Sort of case my late brother-in-law has one of those or had i should say it's in our house in uh, in Arizona and you know it's it's like it's very sort of awkward and to 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 lift up that little curved wood oh god lid that's on it or whatever and it's the 87 CDs but it belonged to Mark so we're going to we're going to hang on to it yeah um but in any case uh Mono or stereo, I mean, there are certain, th- like, certainly I like Paperback Rider and mono. Or duophonic. Certain singles. Now, duophonic consists of what now? Uh, I'm just
1: going to kind of say, like, the Dave Dexter stuff.
0: Oh, is that, is, is, um, is, is duophonic uh, where the lows are filtered to one channel yes. and the highs are filtered to the other? And there's, oh, like, okay. a
1: slight delay, I think.
0: Right, fake stereo. Fake, fake stereo. Right, like "Baby, You're a Rich Man" on the American. Yeah. Uh, Art. For, uh, for some reason, Mr. I actually album. really like the fake stereo. "She Loves You," it has <laughs> a charm to it. Right, right. Well, again, it's yeah. Like what, what, what do you like? I mean, I, and I, I, I have a problem with purists online that get into what the band's intentions were, as if they, as if they know. As if they were in the room with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it, if it sounds good to you, you know, and I, I I haven't gotten that precious about it to like, no, I can't no. listen. Like, I know people that said, oh, no, I can only can only listen to the White Album in mono. I'm like, really? OK. Oh,
1: but these people are also like with the high and mighty uh, thoughts on the Beatles intentions. They also like to get like, you know, the German and Japanese presses. When, like, that's not what the Beatles would have intended. Like, they sound different. Um, Right. So they, through their own standards, they should only ever be allowed to listen to the original British versions.
0: Right. Well, and also, if if you know your Lenin history... One of his last interviews, he said something to the effect, I mean, not that you want to take every word of his for the gospel, yeah. but he says, there isn't one of those songs that I don't want to go back and redo, you know, like every, like I, I, I think trying to, uh, to, to, to presume to know what the band's intentions were is kind of, is, is, is dubious at best because you don't know that they were 100% pleased with how things came out. Yeah. Anyway. And um, I do know that apparently Neil Aspinall was doing some kind of press junket uh, for one of the anthology things. And somebody was asking him, you know, what was the band's take on, you know, some of the American albums, you know, like like the Beatles' second album, for example. I think there's and even a Aspinall clip just, of George Aspinall Harrison. Aspinall looks at him. Oh, sorry, yeah. continue. No, no, no. I was just saying uh, Aspinall looks at the guy for a second. And he goes, you mean to tell me that the Americans actually put out something called the Beatles' second album? Like, he just couldn't believe that, like, what, like, the least, least imaginative title you could ever. uh, Oh, and that was, well, that was also the other thing why Dave Dexter got such a bad rap is that right after John was killed. Oh, he did that. Uh, he wrote an, an editorial. He did an, orita- an editorial for Playboy. And he said, you know, I had a hard time with that guy. Because, like, whenever they went to America and they would meet with the Capitol brass, Lennon would, was the guy who would complain, <laughs> you know, about, like, the choices that they were making with the albums. Um, and I thought, it, I thought it took brass balls to write that. At that time, when everyone was making him out to be, you know, St. you know, John Lennon, for for him to, to really tell the truth and say, like, yeah, well, yeah, he was a great artist and everything, but I found him very difficult to work with because he could be very confrontational. And I've met quite a few people that have confirmed that, that you did not want to get on that guy's bad side, man. It's like, uh, who was
1: it? (laughs) Philip Norman, like the guy who did *Shout*. Did yeah, yeah, sure. uh, sure. He did this editorial after George died.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Was so kind of nasty towards George that the paper who put it out actually had an apology the next week.
0: Really. Yeah. Interesting. I missed that.
1: Send it to you.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I you know I don't yeah Philip Philip Norman is um you know I'm not mad at him as they as they say uh, you know he's he's I mean to write a book like Shout uh, is an effort and you know to tell that story but he, I, he, there's a lot of what's the word I'm looking for there's a lot a lot of interpretation and speculation on his part I feel like. Um, you know, and sometimes you just you know you don't you don't I I, I the the sort of getting sort of very very uh, poetic about it um, at 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 times um, but again you know you talk to four different people who were there and you're going to get four different versions of the story yeah you know history is a very strange thing. Like that, and, and again, like not to not to toot my own horn, but having met enough people who have been who were in the room, like when when Alan Parsons corrects you about stuff, we were trying to figure out God- Godfrey Towns and the guitarist and I were trying to figure out the chords to Every Night, off the the first McCartney album. Yeah, and you know we're sitting there. No, it's this. No, it's this. And Alan goes, actually, I was on that session, and it's like this. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> you learn really quickly not to assume that you know anything. Just, assu- you know, you can only know what you've read in the books. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what the, if that, the person who wrote that book has some sort of an agenda. Or if they've got some kind of an axe to grind. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm sure you've figured out, most books are either pro-Lenin And anti McCartney, or vice versa. Yeah, you know Jeff Emmerich's book makes Paul out to be the nicest guy on earth, right? But then if you read uh, Um, Peter Brown's book, book. yeah, or or um, what's the guy who wrote? There's a book called that came out. I'm gonna redact
1: the name of the author you're about to mention.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, so you know the. I f- I'm, f- I'm yeah. blanking on the guy's name but I'll I just, edit this you know, part out name oh he's a total that guy pot. let let me tell you he's he's beyond a crackpot that guy is like just he, one step away from like he's he's like he to, <laughs>
1: to get his critics to shut up
0: right right. Right. No, he's, he's, uh, he's not a good guy, that guy. You
1: know, you have to have done something bad to have not only, like, public statements from <laughs> but, like, an even lengthier <laughs> statement from saying that right. you're, like, a total hack fraud.
0: Right. 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 Well, there's... Yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah, and there's, and there's a whole sort of scene... Of those kinds of guy, of those kinds of people who, you know, you know, bottom feeders, man, parasites who just feed off like the the, the fumes. Albert of, Goldman
1: of, wasn't even that Mr. bad, compared to no, these No, Albert
0: guys. Goldman, yeah, and, um, you know, I think he he again, I mean, well, he, well, I think Goldman got a lot of facts wrong. Well, um, I was at a panel I, I also, where
1: Mark Lewison was speaking, and he okay. said. He actually did a a lot of really good research, um, but he didn't use it.
0: (laughs) Huh. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Or something to that effect.
0: uh Uh-huh. So it's stuff that he left out. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Well, I would imagine uh, at at this stage of the game, I mean, I I heard that... Basically, McCartney has a, a news—I uh, forget what they're called. It's like a, a wire service or something. Basically, any time that guy's name turns up in the news anywhere, it it he sees it. Like nothing. Every every time he gets mentioned somewhere in the press, it 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 comes across his desk. Imagine. No, McCartney. Okay. I'm saying Paul has like a service. He has a, I think it's called a wire service where he he gets notified anytime there's some like a story about him he knows about it. Oh, okay. Somehow, like his people or his people at least know about it. So I would imagine anytime you know a guy's about to write a book, and I'm sure there's you know like if I was going to write a book like the the true story of Paul McCartney. I and how he
1: actually died in nineteen sixty six I know.
0: I know, I know. there was if you play magical sent mystery
1: me... tour backwards, it sounds all fucked up because you're playing it backwards dude,
0: I, exactly. dude, I someone sent me a link, you know, people because knowing people know uh, they, you know they, they 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 know of my obsession. yeah, and they you know they send me Beatles related things and go like, what do you think of this? Have you seen this? You know, yeah. and it was like a video. I have definitive proof that oh. Paul McCartney died in the... I have a... George Harrison's deathbed confession. Oh, that? Right, oh, describe... God. Right. That's right. terrible. With the guy like, this is George Harrison. <laughs> like, like, the wor- like the worst like imitation Liverpool It's called like ever. the I'm
1: last like, oh. testament of George Harrison. Like,
0: get out of here. Come on. And listen, I love conspiracy theories as much as anybody. Like... And they I, keep talking I, I, about this guy, I, I, Muxwell. Right, 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 right. Uh, it's like, within five seconds, I'm like... And
1: they're, like, here. giving clues from <laughs> Rubber Soul, you know, an album right. that came out before Paul
0: died. There's a reason why I don't go to Strawberry Fields in New York anymore. In, well, well, not, I mean, besides the fact that you can't now, right? But um, I used to go you know, on, like, on the anniversary of John's death, or, you know, like, when George died, I went there, or you go on George's birthday, whatever, whatever the days are that you go, just the the freaks that would show up, you know, there was this one guy who had, like, a whole conspiracy theory that that Stephen King, that the author Stephen King had killed John Lennon, and he's, like, showing me this, like, paranoid, like... <laughs> you know if you read this newspaper article you turn it upside down these words spell out this i uh, just crazy like get you know this guy needs to be locked up you know and i just you know i i got it this is not is that cos chapman to that music. like
1: kind of looks if you squint hard enough like i think Stephen it was King? something
0: like that i think it was something like that um there was one I saw no you know what yeah well there's that there's also I looked at this guy's website because of course he has a website of course and it's like eight it's eight pages describing like how he got kicked out of his apartment how his wife divorced him and everything but I would not stop seeking the truth and that's sad here's audio and he goes here is audio of Paul thanking me from the stage you can hear he clearly says that you're doing you're doing a good job and the guy plays uh, the live version of "Fool on the Hill," <laughs> um, which I don't know if you if you if you've heard the live version of "Fool on the Hill" from like the 92 oh, yeah. where Paul play, plays in the live
1: fantastic,
0: Lu- right? And he plays like He plays a clip of Martin Luther King saying, yeah. "We as a people will get to the promised land," right? Mm-hmm. As as like memories of the sixties, right? Yeah. and and it's like a very powerful moment with cuts to the martin luther king audio so the guy plays that and says this is paul saying (laughs) you know thanking me from the stage for all my hard work for you're out there telling the truth and he it's and it's martin luther king hey i know yeah so
1: oh god
0: yeah mental health yeah (laughs) all right what other beatles stuff because i how long have we been on this is like two and a half hours
1: Like an hour going in on two. I have like two more questions and then
0: go for it.
1: Okay. What's your favorite Beatles song slash songs?
0: Oh, for God's sake. All right. So you're going to have to ask me. That's going to have to be like right now. Yes. Meaning like, you know, what are your favorite
1: Beatles songs today?
0: Today. um, I I would say I still have the Hots for Rubber Soul. From listening a couple of days ago so I'm gonna rattle off I've, I've just seen a face it's only love the word think for yourself I think that where they they you know there's just something irresistible about I've just seen a face that I can't describe in fact I listened to the uh, the McCartney unplugged uh CD like yesterday or the two days ago And uh, all my troubles seem so far away. I yeah 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 exactly. (laughs) Um, I love the version of I've just seen a face on unplugged. (laughs) Um, So I would I would say like right like the that sweet spot like between like help and revolver, um, where they were sort of like. Like Hard Day's Night was them coming back from America. Yeah. Like, okay, we did it. We, con- we, we we beat the game. Who's better than us? Mm-hmm. That's Hard Day's Night to me. We're the biggest fucking things on the planet. And Beatles and for Sale
1: like, is end of year
0: depression. <laughs> Beatles for Sale is like, Wow, so that's it, huh? I yeah. guess we just uh we do this again, huh? Yeah. Um and then Help was like that's when Oh, you start another movie. Wacky tabacky. They get the wacky tabacky, but the wacky tabacky led them to like an even greater sense of like, what else can we do with this? What I was talking about before, the restless creativity, and then it started infecting the songwriting. And I think Dylan became. Yeah, you know, I don't think they were. I don't think they were influenced by Dylan directly. Like, let's try to sound like Dylan. Mm-hmm. I think. They were influenced in the sense that, like, that guy is writing what's real. Mm-hmm. He's writing stuff that that means something. So I think watching those guys pushing themselves to, like, no, we can't just knock off, you know, like the way Lennon and McCartney would knock off, you know, you know Brian Epstein would come to them. Scylla Black needs a song. Or you yeah. know, Peter and Gordon need a song. And let's go off in the corner and knock off, you know a song for them, you know, now they were thinking like, no, let's put some heart and soul into this stuff. Let's let's do something that's like, you know, that'll like hold something up. Something
1: that they won't give to, like, Jerry and the Pacemakers.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, when that starts, but they were still touring, so they still, it's, they were still confined by it being Two guitars, bass, and drums. Yeah, they hadn't yet decided. Like we don't have to be the Beatles anymore. Like Pepper was like, we are completely dispensing with this idea of like we have to, we have to somehow filter this crazy idea into uh, our the 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 format where it will work on stage, <laughs> right? And I think the songs on Help. And rubber sole are great I mean you could just you could feel the thing like like expanding a couple of extra chords here and there like the chords the chord progression and think for yourself is so unusual to be in G, to start with that, that G7, that really dirty kind of G7, yeah. and then aim. I mean, do I have a guitar? Here we go. I mean to start with uh my chops to start off with a G7 and then like A minor D minor B flat to C to G it's just such an odd direction to go in he's like just and of course the jump, killer fuzz like, bass oh yeah yeah he's he he he's just circumnavigating the 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 harmonic center the two the two minor the five minor it's crazy and yeah and then they then the 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 fuzz bass and then the harmonies you know um you could dissect any strand of that stuff the songwriting alone is you know, top notch. But then so is the arrangement and the and the production. Just sonically, the way they would make things sound. Never mind like what they were playing. You know? Uh so like right now, this moment, uh help rubber soul. Okay. Uh even though help's got a couple of the English help's got a couple of clunkers on there. What is um, your least favorite Beatles song? Uh uh, you know, Please tell me what you see. <laughs> That's it. I love Mr. Moonlight. I don't know why Thank people you. get that problem. Thank get that you. song, such a. Well, I don't know why. What people's problem is with that? I think it's the um, Hammond solo. Yeah, it's fine. No, but it was. They were having it. They were. They were having fun. Oh yeah. Um, I think tell me what you see. And you like me too much. Uh, I I think tell me what you see was one time of like, okay we're done. No 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 we need one more. What Oh, for God's sake? I mean it just sounds like, like I cracked myself up one day like tell me what you see like I I see a song that was written in twenty minutes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you like me too much. Like yeah I don't I, yeah I don't like this song too much. Yeah. You know. It's like well, those not are really that much. the uh, but. But again, in a in a in a catalog that that goes, I mean, if you think about it, from origin story to breakup was thirteen years. I mean, didn't Guns and Roses take thirteen years to make their last album? Uh, didn't Chinese Democracy take like thirteen years of, of of like stops and starts and false starts and personnel changes? The you thing know, is with I mean, Guns N' Roses, I I
1: don't care. <laughs> and from what I've either. heard of I'm that just, Chinese just, Democracy album, if only it had taken another twenty, so we
0: wouldn't have heard it. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. You know, I whatever. I don't. I got nothing. I got nothing against him, but I just you know. John meets Paul in 1957. The band breaks up in 1970, and in that period of time, like it was everything they did. Mm-hmm. You know. So, anyway, that's right now. Favorite stuff right now. T- tail End of Help, Rubber Soul. Okay, you gave a favorite
1: album, which is the yeah. American Rubber Soul. Do you have a least favorite? And keep in mind, you can pick British, American. You know, I even allow compilations.
0: Uh, sometimes well, comp- people,
1: people have a hard time, you know, picking a least favorite. So I allow, like, you know, the... Rock and huh. roll music, love songs, that kind of
0: shit. Um, it's difficult for me to be objective about this kind of thing. Um, are you familiar with real music?
1: Yeah, you're not the first person oh. who said that.
0: Okay. I got that album for my 10th birthday. And at the time i thought it was the coolest thing ever because it came with like a Um, little program came with a booklet and pictures and i love all the songs on there and the covers, were really cool yeah and it was just great and i just remember like that birthday was really fun i remember i got that album and pac-man fever
1: oh by buckner and
0: garcia Correct. Oh my man, you know Pac-Man fever, that's great. Cuz I
1: got Pac-Man
0: fever. <laughs> oh my god. Dude, it's like I feel like I'm talking through time to my to my past self. This is great. Although you would know Dukes of Stratosphere by now if that were the case. Uh,
1: you know what? <laughs> I know how I'm spending my night tonight. I'm I'm listening. Okay. Cuz I pulled you up the get... Dukes of Stratosphere wiki and something okay. about um they, they XTC killed off the band in a horrible sherbet accident.
0: Uh. Yeah, exactly. Well, they put out, like I said, there was an EP called Twenty Five O'clock, and then an out full length album called Sonic Sunspot, and then they combined the both of them onto an album on, onto a CD, a single CD called Chips from the Chocolate Fireball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, it's it's if someone like yourself who loves the freak beat stuff. It's, it is a must-own. And then I want you to go straight to Pugwash after that. Okay. So I have written down fa-
1: Pugwash and then the 90s Tom Petty Donovan thing.
0: Yeah. Yes. And then uh, Dukes of wildflowers Wildflowers and, and, and Sutras. Okay, so least favorite Beatles album. It's, it's difficult to say. Looking at real music as an adult, like if that album came out now... I would be like, what the hell do I need this for? Mm -hmm. You know, a couple of years ago they put out, uh, I want to say it was a collection called Revolution, where it was like all the rockin' tracks. Oh,
1: Tomorrow Never Knows,
0: maybe one for iTunes. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and I and again as a jaded adult, I'm like, what the hell? Who needs this? You know, Twenty Greatest Hits, I thought was like a money grab.
1: They don't you know, even have the again, best versions of the songs on that one.
0: There you go. They have yeah, like well, a I know, neutered a lot of people, version
1: of "Hey Jude."
0: Right. A lot of people were. You know what? I'm not a fan, and I don't. I don't know if this is going to polarize people. I'm not a fan of "Let It Be Naked." Oh. I think when you you use that term "neutered," which I thought was interesting. I thought they was they used an alternate take of "I've Got a Feeling," that's. Just, you know, very sort of like benign, doesn't have the uh, the energy of the original record. Why are they um, just and I didn't also,
1: reissue the Glenn Johns version, we'll never know.
0: Yeah, I think I, I have to believe that the entire Let It Be project is so uh, fraught with bad vibes and drama that they don't want to. Revisit. I mean, to the, here it is 50-something years later, and there's still, yeah. you know, they had to hand it off to, to like, the guy that did Lord of the Freaking Rings yeah. to make sense out of this. You know, a guy who specializes in, like, three-hour, you know, yeah. epic things to sift through all that stuff. Well, he did do um, that good now, World
1: War One documentary.
0: Yeah, yeah, and... And, well, you know, I mean, and, Let
1: It Be was basically, you know... I'm not going to say it's, it was as bad as World War One.
0: <laughs>
1: However, well, I'm, I I'm not it, saying it's not.
0: Well, in terms of, I think in terms of a historical document, uh, you know, I think it's it, it's important. And you need a guy with that kind of skill, that kind of patience to sift through 25 hours of, I mean, what were they filming all day, every day for a month? You know. Yeah. It's that's that's a that's a as Jerry Seinfeld would say. That's a pretty big matzo ball. You got there um, So, you know, I'm curious to see what they turn up with I you know, I just love that original album and I'm I can see why people don't like The specter orchestrations on long and winding road But I will go on record and I have gone on record as saying that my favorite version of long and winding road is from give my regards to broad street
1: Okay, that's a controversial statement
0: yes it is and i but i will i will defend that version against the beatles version anytime maybe another time
1: i've never heard give my regards to broad street used in the same sentence as favorite
0: have you when was the last time you saw that movie
1: um about a year ago
0: i see okay you have to understand something when i was 12 and john lennon had just been killed 4 years earlier, not not an hour away from where I lived in Brooklyn, the early 80s were a tough time to be a, you know, an adolescent Beatles fan. So by the time I was 12, a movie with Paul McCartney in it was like the greatest thing ever. And Ringo's in it, and George Martin's in it. I mean, come on. So Yes, he should have. He was about two or three drafts away from an 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 interesting movie. I think if he had brought in a a co-writer, and they'd done and they'd done like maybe two or three revisions of the script. I mean, it's an interesting story. He's he 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 takes a guy in who's an ex-con. He's out of he's out of prison. He said, "All right, I'll give you I'll give you a job," and. The guy's first job is to deliver the tapes, which which is a little goofy, like, you know, the guy's going to get on the train with the master tapes and deliver them to the factory himself. That's a little dubious, but in any case, and he vanishes with them. And there's a financial company that's got a stake in Paul's company, and they're going to they're going to take over the company if they don't recover the work products. that that could have been an interesting story. Yeah, that I think I think there was some there was an it was a pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's it gets deep into the weeds of how business works, you know, you know, um, and it, it could have been interesting as it is. I mean, I wrote an article about it for Culture Sonar. Um, if you watch that film, if you take it for what it is, which is basically a 100 minute long music video, because they were all making. Uh, movies in those days pete townsend did white city uh kate bush did a uh the, the, something about the red shoes or whatever i forget what it was called weathering heights early 80s Every no it, it was the um no she did like a short film like an experimental short film slash music video mm. thing the, the red so a story of something with the i forget what it's called but home video was happening and so like well, everyone was doing their like experimental short films but again 84 you had, you had Stop Making Sense. You had Purple Rain. You had, like, really killer rock films. Mm-hmm. And then... Now, you just named a
1: great concert movie and an okay yeah.
0: <laughs> movie in general. I will <laughs> go oh, on a per- record
1: saying... Well, like, it's if you are just watching it for the music and the videos, yeah. it's great. If yeah. you're watching it for the story, I think you'd be a little disappointed.
0: Well... I saw purple rain a long time ago and I don't remember uh if if I if I disliked it or what the situation was um but right after prince died I rented uh under the cherry moon and I had a lot of trouble sitting through that thing
1: well it's it's the best out but of the was, you know Prince. i love i loved the
0: closing the closing credits the closing credits of the band playing mountains was was killing but otherwise i had a really hard time sitting through that story such as it was so but in any case
1: what is your least favorite beatles album again
0: my least favorite beatles album I oh wait no you said let it, let it be there's a bunch of i think i i would have to say let it be naked um 20 greatest hits was kind of useless to somebody like me one i'm not a I, I it's like eh okay big deal you know i just thought it was but again i i don't get mad about this kind of stuff because i understand you've got you know the people at the at the label have a um they have an obligation to keep uh exploiting the catalog yeah you know and how can we how can we repackage this stuff in a way that will attract uh, a new young audience? So you know, it doesn't doesn't bother me. But like, if I I don't dislike the one album per se, I dislike people who call themselves Beatle fans because they have that record.
1: Oh, there's a great in a, in a <laughs> you know what I mean in this a podcast that John Mulaney does with Nick Kroll. Uh, okay they have these characters and one of them said like oh yeah i'm the biggest beatles fan and then the other one's like yeah he, he has the cd of the number one hits biggest beatles fan in the world
0: <laughs> yeah. oh so there you go so they know what i'm talking
1: yeah. about but you know out yeah. there i'm sure one was someone's introduction to the beatles like i know i think yes. kiddo tool said 20 greatest hits was hers Interesting. So, to different people, like these seemingly useless compilations, were probably right. their gateway to the Beatles.
0: Well, I mean, useless in the sense that, for someone like myself, who's who you know, be, uh, whose father owns every album, my mm-hmm. mother's got most of them, my stepfather's got most of them, you know, I and and I, and I have all of them, so I don't need a collection. Like 20 greatest hits. There's no, it doesn't serve me any purpose. I'm not going to rush out and buy that. Um, but if that, if somebody's got no, if they've, someone younger that's never heard of them before and that's the first thing that they get, then right on. If that's the gateway, then, then by all means. And I don't expect people to be as, you know, trekky about it as, uh, as, uh, as I am or as, or as, as you seem to be. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you'll and you you will learn that too i used to be really less tolerant of uh people that didn't know their shit than uh than i am now
1: i mean as long as you you like the music and you enjoy the music because it all yeah. comes back to the music
0: if and even if you don't like it that's cool too i don't i don't expect people to like it but don't write it off don't don't yeah. tell me that like you know, well, they weren't important. You know, there, there you know, was there, you know, I think the so-and-so's... Could you address that
1: last statement to someone named Dylan? Friend of mine makes that argument uh, all the time.
0: Who does, who, who does Dylan think is more important?
1: Uh, Velvet Underground.
0: Oh, please. That's... I, there'd be no Velvet Underground if if it wasn't for the Beatles. The Beatles created a social environment around music around, you know, they, you know, it was the 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 Velvet Underground was spawned from a social um, context and and an environment among the youth culture that was created by the Beatles and the stones and Dylan, and hendrix you know so to say that the velvet underground were more important is just that's just silly you know So, um, john that being said i also think that i was I, the, the, the the beatles also uh, if, if you say who's more important little beatles or little richard you know, then now we're getting into some different territory, but don't tell me the velvet Underground's more important than that. That's, that's, that's just, you know, hear that Dylan. Oh, I, I mean, not, not to take sides. I'm sure Dylan's a nice guy. I don't mean to be, yeah, I don't mean, you to, we, right. we don't need to, we don't need to publicly dress him down, but there's just, mm. you know, and by the way, I love Lou Reed. I think he's, yeah. you know, I was just spinning the, uh, the New York album recently. It's killing So Nothing John, against the velvet underground, but anyway,
1: where so, can people yes. find you these days?
0: JohnMontagna.com. Pretty much, got all my stuff is there. Uh, the Instagram is uh, my name. YouTube channel is youtubecom Uh I'm on Twitter at JohnMon. J O N M O N. Look you out for those podca-
1: re-uploaded uh, Beatles remasters.
0: I'm hoping to start. You know, now that I got some time on my hands, I think I'm going to try and re-edit some of those without the um, the copywritten music.
1: Do the Magical Somehow Mystery we're... Tour one first. I remember that <laughs> one specifically.
0: <laughs> that one took a long time. That was my first, like, let me get some other people. Oh, Rich is in that one, too. Yeah. Even and and the uh,
1: were... b
0: Right, right. Which, by the way, I have to, two things about that word. I have to credit Mark Hudson for coming up with that phrase. He was the first one to use that phrase. I was also nervous about it because I thought people might get offended about it. And I wrote to a friend of mine who has a special needs child. Mm-hmm. And she wrote back. She goes, I'm so tickled. I think that's hysterical. And I appreciate you writing it. I'm not offended. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So, But I, even so, I, 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 try, I try to avoid it. But go right ahead. Before I interrupted
1: you, you were about to say something about your podcasts.
0: Yeah, I, I the podcast is kind of on a hiatus right now because it's um it's a lot of effort uh to do by myself. Um and and just coming up with like a workflow that's effective on my own has been kind of a challenge yeah. from a time management need an interim uh, co-host, I'm here. <laughs> well, you know what? It's uh I I uh I have your contact info, so we'll see we'll see what happens. But hopefully if I can get a if I can come up with a system where it doesn't take me like, you know, four days. De- because the way I do them is like there's a lot of editing and post-production stuff. And it just takes a lot of time. And I don't have, and have that kind of time. So that might, that might change. We'll see. But uh, com has got pretty much everything there.
1: I want to leave uh, off on this point. Um, yes. I actually thought of you not too long ago when I was at a record store. Because okay. you did this White Album review. And you pulled out this, what was it, 30th anniversary one that right. was like the mini LP. And yeah. he made some joke about the poster. It's like, oh, this little <laughs> tiny giveaway poster. You can hang it up in your cubicle like the cat. Hang in there. Right. <laughs> and so when I was at my local record store and they got that in, the first thing that came to mind was the poster of the cat. Hang in there. <laughs>
0: Oh that's great. I'm glad I'm glad you made that connection. I I want to say I got that the hang in there poster is a kids in the hall reference. I love the
1: kids in the hall.
0: I think the the two Kathys uh <laughs> sketch I think one of them has the hang in there poster in her cubicle. Right? I've been
1: watching a lot of kids in the hall lately.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They're they're sort of like an like a real like, are they more of an institution up where you are than than down here?
1: Uh I don't
0: no. Okay. Because I know, I mean, it's like people, you, you'll meet people that are into kids in the hall in America and you're like, oh, wow, cool. It's, but it's not like a, yeah. it's not something that like everybody knows here.
1: Well, I think it was more popular um, here because it was on uh, CBC, right? not HBO or whatever.
0: Right. Well, I got them. Um, they were on, uh, what's it called? They were running them on Comedy Central. Oh yeah, you know. Um, so this was, you know, and it was. I think they had already been on the, off of off the CBC for for a minute, and then they kid. I think the beginning of Comedy Central is like one of the first things that they ran was Kids in the Hall. And I had a roommate uh, in Boston, Trish, who had like was a major fan. Had all of them, all the episodes on VHS. And at the time, I was working in a cover band, so I was playing gigs at night. She'd be at work during the day and I'd be in the apartment by myself just watching her kids in the hall tapes over and over again all day, you know? Yeah! (laughs) There you go. Rob Torkelson's Armada featuring Herman Mendelchuk.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, they say, you know, I'm good. The bass player's good. But just the rest of the band stinks. I'm the rest of the band. (laughs) One, two, three, four.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. We're
1: just going to take your songs.
0: That's great. Well, listen, if you've ever been in a band, it's like you find out that that's that's the kind of petty nonsense that happens.
1: Anyways. Anyway. John, this has been an absolute... uh, it's a great time. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah I'm so, thank it's you for asking. It's
1: been a music conversations, personal kind of therapy, trying to talk me out yeah. of my self-deprecation.
0: Yes. Anytime. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> all right.
1: Anything you'd like all to right, say? So
0: th- no, I think we, we have said it all. I'm looking forward to... Um, to hearing this and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, which album cover art my face is going to be put into.
1: Oh, well, I, I can actually tell Surprise you that me. right Surprise now. Me. Okay. It's already right. done. Okay.
0: Oh, all right. No, I want to see it. I want to see it when it's done. Surprise me.
1: All right. I'll just tell you one little thing about it. I took all the right. picture from your website. I swapped okay. out the bass in the photo for a hofner.
0: <laughs> Okay. Kept it right you. A, I could have given you a photo of me with a violin bass. I've got a, no, I I've got know. a violin bass, but, but that that's I gives think me more, more of a
1: challenge.
0: Alright, okay.
1: Alright, and to All everyone, right, everyone out there listening, thank you. You can go home now.
0: Bands on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. The additional voiceovers by Richard Philip. This has been a Showtown production.